0: In the summer of 1520, Pope Leo X released Exerge Domine, a papal bull outlining the errors and heresies of the impudent German monk Martin Luther. Luther responded by burning the bull.
1: The Pope had had enough. It was time for action, so he instructed his theologians to write a new papal bull that would excommunicate Luther, which, according to canon law, would allow anyone to murder Luther without worrying about sinning.
0: As we've seen over and over. By choosing force over dialogue, the Pope was overestimating his strength in Germany. A fatal mistake for Christian unity in the West. I'm
1: Mike Yagley. And I'm Evan Gertner. And this is Grace on Tap.
0: Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to the review of the history and content of the documents from the Lutheran Reformation all over a nice cold beer.
1: So today's episode is going to be about Deset Romanum, the papal bull that finally excommunicated Martin Luther.
0: So you will need to remember that the previous bull written to Luther was exerge Domine, which was a warning of excommunication.
1: Desit Romanum was a much better written document than exerge Domine simply because it remains in a very comfortable domain for the sixteenth century of the Roman Catholic Church, where exerge Domine clumsily tries to explain the specific errors of Luther written in a hurry because Johann Eck wants to get it out yeah uh, Deset Romanum. Uh,
0: really, simply declares judgment. Thou art a heretic.
1: That's kind of in the <laughs> realm of 16th century church. Uh, you know, I couldn't find a whole lot written
0: on on desert Romanum, uh, but it's critical to uh, understanding of the next steps of the story. So we're going to send this. Have this sh- probably a shorter episode than usual, uh, but it's going to be more
1: history focused. We're not like walking I, line lo- through line through uh, this uh, you document. You know, I I am.
0: We do go through the document just. You know, to talk about it so people know what's in it, because you really get a feel for the the papal i you know attitude at that time. But yeah, we're not going to do it like we've been doing these theological documents. This is going to be more history, which I'm thankful. I, I've enjoyed the theological do- discussions. I really, really have. But I'm ready for some history.
1: Now, the Roman Catholic Church's problems with Martin Luther started with the release of the 95 Theses in October of 1517, which were about the problem of indulgences. Now, over the next three years. The two sides were unable to reach any sort of agreement,
0: and, and from Luther's perspective, you know, he wasn't—he was unwilling to accept anything that wasn't supported in the Bible. And from the Roman Catholic Church's perspective, the Pope demanded Luther recognize the Roman Catholic Church's authority uh, to determine doctrine.
1: Now, even as we're t- describing Roman Catholic, they would just say the Catholic Church if you want to be a part of the universal body of believers accept the authority of the church yeah, now as catholic- lutherans we add that addendum roman
0: yeah yeah but not just us uh, even at that time the roman catholic church had the problem with the eastern church right yeah. so yeah it was uh, so, so it, the
1: question of authority is still in the controversy
0: and and and, and you now in 1520 everything comes to a head when Uh, Luther effectively undercut Roman church's authority with the nobles and his open letter to the Christian nobility.
1: He encourages the Christian nobility to take their role in the church as baptized believers and speak up for the defense of the word of God.
0: And then, after that, Luther comes out and he just tears into the very core power of the church by
1: redefining the, the sacraments. In the Babylonian captivity of the church, which is also released... In 1520, the sacraments are redefined. Now, this was just too much for the Church. The Pope finally excommunicated Martin Luther, along with a few humanists from Nuremberg, when he signed the papal bull, Deset Romanum Pontificum in January 1521. Yeah, that was, uh, I think, January 3rd. So, right at the be- you know, Happy New Year.
0: You know, this is this is going to come out, and, and, you know, you're all heretics. So,
1: the word bull, just a, a reminder, is not referring to an animal. The word "bull," as we're talking about it in this episode, is the name for the seal, the bullum, uh, which was uh, l- the it's defining like a wax, the wax seal that would be attached to the paper that would show it's a legitimate document from the Pope. Okay. Now, now here's the deal. You know, uh, uh, D- Dessa
0: Romanum is is you can't really find a whole lot of information on it, even on the papal website no. on the, on the Vatican website. They don't have a complete copy of death at Romanum.
1: Now there was a movement, uh, just a few years ago, uh, to ask the Roman Catholic church to, uh, take away these words. And they, um, Finally, in 2008, one of the Popo ambassadors said, no, we, we don't do that.
0: We don't do that. Yeah, that's, yeah. And so, it, so
1: the exerge Domine really is more of the meat of the excommunication because it explains what was wrong. And, and now this document is largely saying, we've warned you. Now here it is. Now the title and historians reference Desit Romanum as the document that excommunicates Luther and a few other people, but Vatican's copy, uh, right now, it just references Luther.
0: Yeah, the copy, I should say the copy that's posted on the website uh, that's been translated into English just references Luther. And I'm sure if you grab the original and read the Latin, maybe you maybe. Understand. Um, so the, uh, the, the 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 title comes from the first few like all the papal bulls. The title comes from the first few words uh, of the of the uh, of the document. And uh, it says um, something along the lines of it befits the Roman pontiff in English. So Mm -hmm. uh, if you actually read it, it says through the power given him from God, the Roman pontiff has been appointed to administer spiritual and temporal punishments
1: uh, as each case severely deserves. So even in the opening sentence, it's defining authority. Yeah, in the pope, papal uh, power.
0: Yeah. Now,
1: so, so that's a problem for Luther. There's no biblical foundation that gives the Roman Pontiff the power to globally administer spiritual and temporal punishments. Now, I said earlier we're not going to go into this sentence, uh, by maybe the sentence. maybe a little bit. Right? <laughs> so now, so we did the first sentence line by line. Although we're not going to go entirely line by line. Let's just get a sense of what's in this document. The second sentence, it's a long one. Generally, Ecclesiastical Latin has long sentences. Oh, is
0: that why it's so long? Oh, it's brutal. Paul,
1: for instance, is also long.
0: You read like yeah, it goes a half a
1: page sometimes. Right, um, it's so, not the Ernest Hemingway school of writing. No,
0: this one goes. It's a long one. Says the purpose of this is the repression of the wicked designs of misguided men who have been so captivated by the di- debased impulse of their evil evil purposes as to forget the fear of the Lord, which. By the way, this is parenthetically means fear of the Pope. Yep. Uh, to Just set aside that. with contempt canonical decrees and apostolic com- commandments and to dare to formulate new and false dog- dogmas and to introduce the evil schism into the Church of God, which, by the way, parenthetically is the Roman Catholic Church, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, or to support, yeah. help, and adhere to such schismatics who make it their business to cleave asunder the seamless robe of the Redeemer
1: and the unity of the Orthodox faith. That that accusation that the great problem with Luther is not what he said, but he brought about the schism in the church, is one of the concerns that is still said about Luther. It will be Roman Catholic theologians will talk about Luther positively, but just still say, but did he have to break apart the church?
0: And and anybody who's listened to this podcast can see that was not what his goal was.
1: Luther's goal was not to be schismatic or to cleave asunder the seamless robe of our Redeemer. Now, on the other hand, he doesn't identify the seamless robe of our Redeemer as everybody having the same ceremonies. He doesn't identify the seamless robe of our Redeemer as everyone who's living under the authority of the Pope. He doesn't see the seamless robe of our Redeemer as everyone who attends the church on a Sunday morning. The seamless robe of our Redeemer is Jesus Christ and all those who believe in him as their Savior. That's the one holy Catholic and apostolic church is all those who believe in Jesus Christ in every place and every time. Now the Pope in the second sentence uh, was defining the seamless robe of our Redeemer as those who lived under the authority of the papal office.
0: Yeah, it's it, it really is sort of... I mean, even as a, a, a former Catholic who's a Lutheran, it is sort of irritating <laughs> to read this. It's like so... Mm, pompous, so, so you know it's hard to you know, it's like wow, but it
1: sets the tone for the document.
0: Yeah, it really does. Now, no, we're not going to keep
1: going sentence by sentence. No, no no, right? no, no,
0: no, no. But the thing is, Luther would have said the same thing about the Pope, mm-hmm. right? He he would have said, you know, that you he's know,
1: schismatic. They, okay. they have
0: they forget the fear of the Lord. They uh, set, to... set aside uh, um, apostolic commandments. They formulate new and false dog- dogmas. He would have said the same thing back to yeah. the Pope. Right, and, but he would have been. So basing why is it, Luther right and the Pope's wrong? Well, he would have been basing it on the Bible. He would right. have pointed out, to, you know, in the Bible where one of the apostles is specifically saying things that is opposite of what's happening in the medieval Catholic Church.
1: So Luther worked hard to demonstrate that he was in the great stream of historical Christian thought. He would tie what he was teaching to the Scriptures and to what the ancient Church fathers would say, and the Pope would just be making stuff up on of. Listen to me, uh, yeah. I guess in the medieval, and I want to keep going back to that, the medieval yeah. Catholic Church. I, I, want, I want to be fair here. It can be hard to understand with all this focus in this 500th year of the anniversary, as we focus in on this split between the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutherans in Germany, and to say, what still keeps us separated? And it is a good question to ask. Uh, because the Pope today, or Catholics today, should not be defined by that second sentence of Desit Romanum and all the pomposity that it may have.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, is I, I in preparing for this episode, and I, I ended up not including it in here, any of the notes or anything, mm-hmm. but I did read through uh, the the joint declaration on the... Uh, yeah, it was
1: from, what, 98?
0: 99. Yeah, the the Joint Declaration on the Doctrine of Justification. And what was really good about that, I, I actually did like the document, and, because what it does is it says, okay, from the Lutheran perspective, this is what we believe. From the Catholic perspective, this is what we believe. And and this is what we mean. And we're misinterpreted in this way. And the Lutherans misinterpret us in this way. And the Catholics misinterpret the Lutherans in this way. And so it is... uh it. It's it's a helpful document to, and I I, I think it,
1: it's a helpful document to see the desire towards unity, the weakness of that document, and uh, it was signed by the Lutheran World Federation, yeah, and um, was it the Congregation for the Unity of the Church? Or, I can't remember the yeah, name. Yeah, the, the the papal side, was, the papal yeah. side, uh, but it wasn't signed by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod because there was concern that both sides were using language that allowed. Each side to see what they wanted to see in it rather than to be earnest and truthful about what the words really meant.
0: Yeah. And and it was funny. And that was sort of the in and and I want to make sure I'm clear. There there were things I liked about it where Mm -hmm. it was clear about, okay, we we believe this. You believe that. But it was fuzzy in in certain areas. And I
1: like that it was aiming towards unity. I I do not like the triumphalistic separation and schism celebration that can happen between Lutherans. But we need to be honest with each
0: other. There is a
1: reason to have different there are differences that still separate us if there is ever a church near you which you are in unity with and yet you're two blocks from each other why are you still two blocks from each other yeah and, and but if the, the, if you are two blocks from each other there should be a reason why you're separate
0: yeah and and i think i think you know for myself it was it was a helpful document to go through that and read it and say okay yeah i understand what they're saying um, but on the other hand, I mean, I, I have the benefit of all the study I've done and yeah. it's like, you know, uh, yeah, they're a little fuzzy here. They're a little fuzzy there. And uh, but I think there's a reason why things didn't move on much past that. Well, the thing is, is that the Pope coming up on the 500th anniversary is referencing the reason I, I got into, it. and we will talk a little bit about the modern view of, a uh, a, of, uh, Deset Romanum. Uh, but the Pope references JDDC, JDDJ, and talks about, uh, we all believe the same thing now. There's this, this, this proclamation that it's all, all, all good. Yeah. And then they still
1: issue indulgences. I think we should take a beer break, Mike. (laughs) I think that's a great idea. So what's today's beer? We have Beautiful Disaster by Odd Side
0: Ales. This is a really, really good beer. This is sort of a, uh, now this beer, is um, uh, outside ales let's talk a little bit about outside ales first before we get into the beer they are a
1: family of gifted individuals they're also remarkably humble but a family of gifted <laughs> individuals focused on the shared goal of crafting unique products while maintaining the utmost quality they have a 44,000-square-foot production facility, a 15-barrel brew house that runs 24 hours a day until all 450 barrels of stainless steel tanks are full to the brim.
0: Now, they opened in 2010 uh, in Grand Haven, Michigan, in an old piano factory. Uh, they do have a lot of unique beers. This is this is one of the... They're beer snobs, and they don't hide from that. No, they don't. Uh, now, this this one is... Uh, a uh, beautiful disaster, like we said. It's a blended IPA, aged in red wine barrels. And you really can taste the wine, yeah. the red wine. It really is... It uh, brings a
1: softness to the flavor. I think it, it mutes a little bit... The the IPA character of it.
0: Yeah, it doesn't taste like a typical IPA. Uh, nothing like a, any IPA I've had before.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it's, uh, it's a very mellow, very mellow beer. Uh, and some of what we're tasting is also the coffee flavor, maybe a little bit. I don't know. No. Yeah. I, I don't know if it has coffee. There's something in there. Is it just the wine barrel, you think?
0: No. it's. Uh, uh,
1: I was trying to... Maybe it's not coffee
0: that I tasted. There was something in there, there there's something in there though I agree but it's it's basically it's a very it's a hop I think it's a hoppy beer that's that's because it's in the wine barrels you get that that red wine uh finish or it's like a, depth. Yeah, it's it's a very different beer. It's very mellow though like we said. It's good stuff. So where
1: would you buy this, Mike?
0: Uh I got this at uh at the Canopy, which okay. is you know, I couldn't find it in your average beer store. This was actually when I was looking for the Japanese beer. I was going hunting around for, you know and and this was sitting right next to the Japanese beer, so I thought, well, give it a try. It's in it's a it's in Michigan brewery and I try and keep with Michigan breweries, and it's a Michigan brewery we've never been to. We've never uh, we've never tried before, so I thought mm-hmm.
1: I'd give them a try. Good choice, Mike. Uh good beer. Let's uh let's move on. Um, so now the Pope is saying, "Okay, I tried to be friendly by only threatening you, and that didn't work. So no more, Mister Nice Guy. It's time to just say what you are."
0: And the thing is, is he goes in and he and he, he mentions that he's gonna go after Luther and others, and there's always in this this thing with others, and it wasn't mentioned anywhere on the Vatican website, but uh, it, the I was able to find in other documentation the others are three guys: Willibald. Perkheimer, Lazarus Spengler, and Ulrich von Hutten. And I thought,
1: I actually had to do some digging. Who are these guys? So Eck added them in. Now, Ulrich von Hutten, before we've talked about him, he uh, released the German translation of the document that showed that the donation of Constantine was a forgery. And the donation of Constantine was a document that gave a bunch of land to the Pope.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, that's where, where the Pope got, really, from about the ankle... Of Italy, all the way up to the the top of the boot. You know, yeah, and
1: so not only by releasing uh, his explanation that this donation of Constantine was a forgery, he also advocated for a violent overthrow of the church, which resulted in the knights' revolt against the Archbishop of Trier in 1522 and 1523. Although that's going to come later from yeah. this document, we're yeah. talking about 1521 right now. But Ulrich von Hutten is staying in the mix of things and encourages the knights' revolt. Uh, which the knights lost. And now he's best known for documenting his personal battle with syphilis. Um, and it's a patient narrative, and it was a new kind of um, study of a, an illness in the history of medicine. That's the first one in history. as yeah.
0: the the first time anybody... Uh, documented from a patient's perspective what it was like to have, uh, the well, syphilis, but any one that I know, that at least in the documents I was able to find, it was the first
1: one for any, any. So one. Ulrich von Hutten is also declared a bad guy. By the Pope. And then the second one we're going to look is Prickheimer. This is a name. Mike, had you heard of him before? I had never heard of him before. Uh, He was a Nuremberg lawyer and a humanist. He was uh, friends with Erasmus and the great artist Albrecht Dürer, who has done like the Praying Hands and other great just artwork, uh, a lot of uh, work with uh, the apocalypse as well. Yeah. And he translated many classical texts into German. He avoided literal translation. But tried to translate the feel and the sense of the text. Maybe your uh, living Bible translation style of things.
0: Yeah, and, and what was uh, now he was he was going like again classical. He wasn't doing the Bible. He was doing classical documents. Um, I would assume it's like Aristotle that sort of thing, and bringing them up and trying to get the feel of it so that people could read it more conversationally, more yeah. r- n- more real. So, what do you
1: think was the danger with Brookheimer?
0: You know, I don't know. I'm
1: not sure either. Maybe it's just that he is putting more voice into the common man and taking out the the filter and lens of the church to explain the world. I couldn't find anything where he really came out strong
0: for Luther. Uh, Somehow he got on X bad side, though. Now,
1: an interesting note about Prickheimer is that his sister... Caritas was the abbess of St. Clair's Franciscan convent in Nuremberg. And when they tried to close this convent, a few years after all this we're talking about, she negotiated with Melanchthon to keep the convent open as long as they agreed that no new vows would be taken.
0: And you have to sort of, the the, the nuns of this era, really, they they went to the, the convent. They didn't have anything. They didn't know?
1: have husbands. Uh, they didn't have protections. They didn't have property. Um, staying in the convent kept them safe. Yeah. Now the third guy, Sp- Spangler. Now I I knew someone named Spangler. Uh, so, but Spangler. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is this is actually not oh. the guy I knew okay. <laughs> He'd be pretty old. He'd be is. pretty old.
0: 500 and some years old. And this guy, um, Lazarus, Lazarus Spengler? Lazarus
1: Spengler. He's also in Nuremberg. Now, for those of you who are trying to figure out what's going on in Nuremberg, Nuremberg was a city that wasn't ruled by a noble, but had a city council. It was one of the cities in Germany by charter had its own authority that okay. existed by the authority of the city council. And when we look at, like for instance, the signing of the Augsburg Confession uh, in 1530, there will be nobles that will sign it, and there will also be those who are representatives of the people of Nuremberg. Okay, so so here's the deal. You know what what Spengler was? He was like the secretary to
0: the city council, which is a very big deal uh, in Nuremberg. He's
1: essentially like the administrator. He's not the guy who's just taking notes. He's the one that. Takes what the city says. Almost like the mayor. Yes. You
0: know, uh, and so the, so this guy is a, it's a big deal. And, you know, Luther came through Nuremberg in 1518 on his way to meet with Cardinal Cajetan. At Augsburg. At Augsburg. And uh, while he was in Nuremberg, uh, Luther and Spangler both learned that the Pope had released a letter dated August of 1518 before
1: Luther had been interviewed
0: by Cajetan. So the Pope didn't really have any real understanding of what Luther was... Now,
1: this letter in 1518 condemned Luther and his followers as heretics. Um, this is interesting because we're talking now about a document from 1521 where the Pope also declares Luther as a heretic. But this is the official document. This 1521's is... the, it's real now. It's got the bull attached to it. This August 1518 letter that Luther and Spengler learned about Was more controversial because it seems to shortchange Cajetan's authority. Yeah. Because it seemed like Cajetan had some negotiating room, and this letter comes out in 1518, essentially says Cajetan has no room to negotiate. He's there to just get one word, revoke.
0: Yeah, which ended up being the truth. You know, and, and, you know, Luther, like we said, I think in the last episode, Luther was blaming Cajetan for not listening. But in all, you know, in all honesty, Cajetan's hands were tied. He, yeah. he he was given marching orders by the Pope, you know.
1: And Spengler was outraged that the Pope would condemn a man without even knowing what he was teaching. So he released a pamphlet that defended Luther and his teachings.
0: And Spengler, for the rest of his days, was a was a supporter of Luther. And so it's it's easy to understand why Spengler found his name on. Yeah, his... we're not
1: so clear why Prickheimer and uh... well
0: Hutton makes sense because he was just, you know, he he. Put the the, uh, really showed that the the donation of Constantine was a forgery, which would put him on the bad side of the Pope.
1: But if we're like supporting truth, it shouldn't have put him on the bad side of the Pope because the Pope is one who is making sure the Pope. Well, don't forget, uh, Eck was. Yes. Uh, yeah. Eck is the bad guy here. All right. Eck had the,
0: had the ability to put whosoever name on there yeah. that he felt was... Needed. So now the
1: next thing that happens is that there's a discussion where the Pope threatens anybody who helps or protects Luther. Uh, specifically, the Pope says that the bull is against those who defend and protect him with a military bodyguard and do not fear to support him with their own resources or any other way, and have and do, and presume to offer an afford help, counsel and favor toward him.
0: So the Pope's throwing a pretty large net there. It's not just Luther. It's not just these handful of guys in Nuremberg. Now it's
1: going to be States, territories, camps, towns, and places in which these men have even temporarily lived or chanced to visit, along with their possessions, cities with house cathedrals, metropolitans, monasteries, other religious and sacred places, privileged or unprivileged, one and all are under the same ecclesiastical interdict. What is an interdict? Uh, just a, a warrant of uh, accusation. Okay. Yeah. So, so you,
0: so, so what he's saying is that this state, Luther wanders through this state,
1: and they don't pick him up. They're as guilty as Luther is. Wow. wow. Now, keep in mind, in the Holy Roman Emperor Empire, this letter has no military weight to it. It has no uh, on the ground weight to it because. In our next couple of episodes, we're going to talk about the Diet of Worms. Yeah. And Luther is given free passage by the Holy Roman Emperor to the Diet of Worms. I, I, yeah. And that the, comes after this. Yeah.
0: So the Pope is making some sort of rules and the the Emperor says, okay, that's your opinion.
1: And, yeah. and that's going to be a big statement about the Holy Roman Empire is, does the Pope have authority to speak on their secular uh, punishments,
0: which uh, was you know why why open letter to the Christian nobility was so important because it changed the dialogue there. At least
1: here, the Pope's claiming he does, uh, and who? But uh, even Charles V doesn't give him that authority because he allows Luther to travel to the Diet of Worms. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, Frederick the Wise is going to protect him, and all these accusations never come against them. Now, once Charles V has the military strength to go against um, Electoral Saxony. In the small called war, then it finally does come about. Yeah, and maybe so Charles V recognizes His the weakness. reality on the ground is yeah. the Pope saying all these things. I can't enforce it because I don't have the strength, but in 1547 he does have the strength. Yeah, and so then it takes. When a while. did Luther die? 1546. Okay, February of 1546, and then the small called war takes place 46 and 47, and um, the. Lutherans loose because of the betrayal of um, Moritz. Okay, well, we'll that's we'll, we'll
0: see if we're going to get into that one. <laughs> that's that's a, that's an interesting history there. So one of the things, and uh, the, we're gonna we're finished. This is a very short episode, uh, but uh, the, the really sets us up for the Diet of Worms. The um, but the you know really to get an idea of what the Pope is saying here, I, I captured one sentence. He says. We prescribe and enjoin that the men in question are everywhere to be denounced publicly as excommunicated, accursed, condemned, interdicted, deprived of possessions, and incapable of owning them. They are to be strictly shunned by all faithful Christians. Wow. Yeah.
1: And so it comes up after this that um, on Holy Thursday, the announcement of the Pope every year would say which sins... Or which people could only be forgiven by the Pope. And he then afterwards includes Luther in that statement as well. This is a document which really defines authority. Um, And the authority for Luther was always in the Word of God. And if someone is preaching or teaching contrary to the Word of God, you must speak up. And here Luther is accused of speaking up to cause division in the church. And so he's a heretic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the the fallout from this. I wanted to start the discussion on the fallout. Really, I wanted to take a moment to look at how, what's going through Luther's head in all of this. You know, I, I can't imagine if you know the Pope and knowing that Charles V is sympathetic to the Pope, I've got I've got the the most powerful people on the planet with their guns aimed at me. You know, what's Luther's response to? How is he feeling? And so what I did was I went through and I tried to see, okay what else is he writing in at this period? at that same time at period. that
1: same time and you found a devotional that he wrote
0: yeah and there's a devotional called Comfort when facing grave Temptation and the timing's not exactly certain but the, what they think is that it really was written right around this time uh, you
1: know so he's what temptation is he facing is should I give in um, should I save myself? Uh, maybe I'm wrong. There's all sorts of temptations. But as he's writing about this, he says there's six things to remember when you are under attack.
0: Yeah. A, by the way, this is a very, very short little devotional, like two pages long. Uh he says, number number one, don't rely on yourself. Number two, you're not the only one under attack. Number three, remember to yield to God's will. Number
1: four, praise God. Number five. Thank God for the hidden blessings and trials. And number six, no matter how bad things get, don't doubt God's truthfulness. We can count on his promises. Now, this isn't God closes a door and he opens a window. I mean, things could get bad. He is knowing it could get bad, but no matter how bad it gets, trust that God keeps his promises.
0: Yeah, this is you know, when I when I read and I actually this is this is a great little devotional. Uh I would encourage folks to look it up on the web, download it. Like I said, two pages, very easy to read. We'll it's, put
1: it on the same on our website when we post this episode. Yeah, I think this is a good one. Uh, so Philip Schaff, uh, one of the great Protestant historians of the 19th century, summed up the unique position that Desert Romanum holds in Western Christianity. He says It was the last bull addressed to Latin Christendom as an undivided whole and the first,
0: which was disobeyed by a large part of it.
1: Because this was not just disobeyed by Luther. Remember, the accusation was any town, any place, anywhere where Luther resided was as guilty as he was. And Luther in Germany had lots of places to go and have a beer.
0: Yeah, yeah. And now I I wanted to actually, I wanted to see the, the conservative... Catholicism, conservative Roman Catholics, and how they looked at Deset Romanum, and uh, they're 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 sort of upset about you know. There's a lot of talk going on, like we talked a little bit earlier, uh, that the uh, that the Pope, that Pope Francis, might roll back Dicet Romanum and bring Luther back into the Roman Catholic fold. Well, and
1: even as we think, as there's difference between Pope Francis and uh, Benedict, Benedict. Uh, Benedict, uh, at, when he wrote under the name Cardinal Ratzinger, also had positive things to say about Luther.
0: Yeah, and so we have you have Pope Francis. Has, you know, was asked specifically. There was an uh, basically in June of 2016, uh, a reporter from Germany uh, asked Pope Benedict uh, it's when,
1: during one of these airport airline interviews. Yeah, which for a while became a lot of the ways people were learning who Pope Francis was through these kind of. Collegial interviews he would do with reporters back in the bullpen.
0: Yeah, and so he in that in that interview, uh, Pope Francis calls Luther a medicine for the church, uh, and he said Luther did not err in his doctrine of justification. He references specifically we talked a little bit about the Joint Declaration on the Doctrine of Justification, and said that hey, he just declared hey, we all believe the same thing. Well, you know, I don't think that that'd be
1: great news,
0: but we know. That we don't believe exactly the same. I, thing. I think
1: the reason we can say we don't believe the same things is by looking at how indulgences are still being offered in yeah, the Catholic Church. That's one. And that, yep. release from purgatory is yep. still being offered. Yep. And that the Eucharist is still uh, a sacrifice that we do rather than a promise we receive.
0: And, and I think the the but the, the critical thing, and I, I I think Evan and I work very very hard to recognize those points where the Catholic Church has moved. In our direction. In the, in the direction of Luther. And, in the direction of Scripture. And, well, absolutely. In my own sense. No, and I, I agree. It, 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 you know, I personally believe that Luther has, you know, obviously I'm Lutheran, You know that it's in the direction of Scripture and in the direction okay. of the first I century. think that's
1: the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit is always moving us through the Word of God back into unity. And we may in our own arrogance decide to stay separated. But during this 500th year of the Reformation, I am not enjoying division. I am rejoicing in the centrality of the Word of God, and I think that anyone who during this time of celebration is looking for moments of mockery or division or schism, they're missing the point. Yeah, yeah.
0: So the Roman, the conservative Roman Catholics that I found were were very
1: worried since the Pope didn't really. So what's going right to happen back. October? Uh-huh. That
0: nobody knows. Yeah. Actually,
1: it's one of those things that will he come out with something that brings about unity. I doubt it,
0: uh, but it's maybe possible. some movement towards it. Maybe, maybe some movement. So that's uh, now the the um, the last thing that I wanted to talk. The quick summary: There's a, a Roman Catholic military chaplain that I thought really uh, Steve Dundas. Uh, he seems like he's got a real similar interest in the church history that we do. And also theology he also likes beer, by the way. On his website, they had a lot of talk. Maybe about he'll that. host a road trip. I, I would, I would love that. <laughs> um, and and he wrote, uh, he says, uh, it was an extraordinary talk about Deset Romanum. He said, it was an extraordinary and misguided document which failed to understand the significance of what was happening in the church and in Europe. It was a document that echoes what every authoritarian structure does not does when challenged. It ignored the causes, it ignored the issues, and simply condemned those involved. Instead of dialogue, it chose retribution and destroyed the unity of the Western Church. Wow. Ah, uh, yeah. So, this is uh, again Roman Catholic, and, and you know, I, 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 I think he speaks for a lot of moderate Catholics, mm-hmm. a lot of moderate Catholics who are educated in Lutheran, what Luther was doing, would say similar things. Um, Authority
1: for authority's sake rarely works. Yeah. Now, the excommunication of Luther in Desit Romanum sets us up for one of the most dramatic moments of the Reformation, when Luther is called to the Diet of Worms, and we'll cover that in our next episode. Yeah. It it, might take two.
0: I think it's going to take two. And I, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. So let's let's. Uh, thanks again, as always. Thanks to Josh for all of his work and his support. Uh, thanks to Maria. She, my wife Maria, did a lot of work on on finding stuff out about uh, this. This was a hard one, although it's a short episode. There's not a lot written on any of this yeah. stuff, and so she did a lot of work uh, digging stuff up for us.
1: We also appreciate the time. And support we received from St. Paul Lutheran Church. Source materials: James Kittleson, the Lutheran reformer; uh, Miriam Usher Christman,
0: uh, "Conflicting Visions of, of Reform: German Lay Propaganda Pamphlets from 1519 to
1: 1530."
0: It's a good, actually, sort of cool little book
1: there. And the Vatican website, Wikipedia, um, also Steve Dundas, and that um, the Psalm 142 devotional. That we'll find that as that a was in that was in Luther's works. Yeah, so I should have put that in here. You're right. And now you can contact us. graceuntap.podcast Podcast at gmail.com is an email address. You can let us know on um, any mistakes we make. If you want to improve our ecclesiastical Latin pronunciation, feel free to include an audio bite though, and don't just tell us <laughs> yeah, we are wrong.
0: Don't, don't, don't. We've tried to struggle through those written how to pronounce oh, this. So. Yeah, forget it. We're we're just not.
1: GraceUntapped Podcast dot com is the website where um, we post pictures. Uh, and resources and things like that. Catch us on Facebook, race on tap podcast. Uh, also, if you want to go on into
0: iTunes, always helps to get the word out to give us a review in there. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Peace. Peace.